0: Hi listeners, Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read, to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co book club where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September, we'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at racheltompson.co slash book club. What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. Writers, it's Rachel here, and this is my interview with Jasmine Gooey of Loose Leaf Magazine. Loose Leaf is a biannual magazine based in Toronto that features content produced by Pan-Asian. They focus on South, Southeast, East, mixed creators, such as visual arts, fiction, poetry, non-fiction, reviews, artists, and culture. Its inception is the result of the desire to build a place for Asian Canadian emerging artists to publish and a platform to embolden and make visible the Asian Canadian artist community. As they write in their introduction, Canadian art often carries an implied whiteness, both structural and representational. Loose Leaf is here to shift that implication. They want to reach young Asian Canadian adults who have abandoned the arts for various reasons. Born in Singapore, raised in Suzhou and then Hong Kong, Jasmine Gui currently lives and works in Toronto. She is the founder of Project 40 Collective and the managing editor at Loose Leaf Magazine. Her writing has been published by Rice Paper, Hard House Review, Text, Acta Victoriana, Red Paint Hill, Parenthetical and more. She loves and reads with the literary diaspora. welcome to Lit Mag Love Jasmine Gui. I'm so happy to have you here today to talk about Loose Leaf Magazine. <laughs> so, I want to start by asking you about that line in your bio, she loves and reads with the literary diaspora. What are you loving and reading right now?
1: Hi, it's so wonderful to be here. Um I think it's a really interesting question because I haven't been asked, that I've been reading in a while. And I don't know if you know, but I work in like film, actually. I work for a film festival. So I just came off the festival, just started reopening some books. And right now I'm working through uh, a couple of essays in Real Asians, Asian Canada on screen. It's a collection of like interviews, dialogues about Asian Canadian film that has been compiled by the founder of the Real Asian Film Festival. So that's been really interesting to go through. And then on the poetry side, I'm waiting to open Dion Brand's um, The Blue Clerk, which I haven't, I haven't touched yet. And then also the third issue of Migrant Journal, um, which is called Flowing Grounds. I don't know if you've heard of that either, Migrant Journal.
0: No, I haven't. Uh, tell us about that journal.
1: It's actually a collaborative um, design um, project. It's six issues only, print only, based in the UK. And all six issues discuss migration, like different aspects of migration. So the third one's called Flowing Grounds, and it's about the sea and the air, actually. So travel through the ocean and by airplane.
0: Sounds great. And I'd love to crack that Dion Brand book. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> On my list. Yes.
0: And is there more love, do you feel these days, as publishing opens up to diasporic writers, or is, is that a true statement or false?
1: I think it's interesting because with all the books that I'm reading, they have that kind of slant. I mean, that probably reflects my reading interest too, but even with Migrant Journal, the idea of you know committing six um, print issues just to the concept of migration, and this is happening in, in Europe, you know, where they're having a slightly different kind of conversation about migration maybe, or there's different rhetoric and language. So very interesting to, to think about that. But I think, yes... There are way more options. Um, there's much more of a proliferation of content that's about diaspora. Um, but then whether or not we are open to different forms of storytelling, um, whether or not we see the work of these new writers as they are, or you know, through maybe like also a refreshed way of understanding value and story as opposed to a preconceived notion of what is good story and what is good art. That, I think, is more debatable.
0: So I want to turn to Loose Leaf Journal. And can you tell us who your contributors are and, and how you like to work with them?
1: Um, I think for, for Loose Leaf specifically, and this is something that we've always um, highlighted or emphasized since the beginning, since Volume 1, is that we worked very specifically with emerging writers and artists. We are sort of a magazine that wants to fill a gap between writers who have never published anything, who are not formally trained, have never been part of the scene, um, who want to get a feel for it or do have a story or a poem or something to say. And we are that platform, hopefully, for writers like that within the Pan-Asian community I think it's, it goes back to this conversation about like what is valuable um, storytelling. And there are a lot of writers, amazing writers in Canada who are trained um, or who have come through, you know, writing programs and gone to workshop, you know, and done fellowships and then residencies. And those opportunities are wonderful and, and sort of a necessary part of a writer's life in many ways. But within the Asian Canadian community at large, there are very, very many writers who don't get this kind of opportunity, who don't even consider themselves writers or are not comfortable with that kind of label. And this, you know, has been there are many reasons for that. Many of them come from immigrant communities. So, you know, art is not necessary. You know, it's considered a luxury. And so Loose Leaf's very interested um, in voices that may be untrained um, that never got an opportunity to be refined in any way or never got a chance to just flex, right, and, and see what's possible. And so for us, when we get to editing, there's many, many rounds. Um, our editors usually go through a lot, a lot of back and forth. I know for sure the, the nonfiction departments, fiction and poetry, um, tend to go through at least two to three rounds. And then in nonfiction, which is where I work in, we go up to like eight, nine rounds of editing, sometimes before a piece is like good to go to print. And even for artist statements, because we publish also in the visual arts department, artist statements go back and forth too, with like a couple rounds of edits, um, just to like be able to give some of that feedback that we think um, would help the artist or the writer um, in moving forward with their, their art practice afterward.
0: Wow, that sounds like a wonderful opportunity for emerging writers. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: one one thing you said was these are communities where art is considered a luxury. And I'm wondering a bit about that idea of luxury, indulging in something versus the urgency, probably, of some of the stories mm-hmm. that they have to tell. Do do you find that you get a lot and and you publish a lot of pieces with that kind of urgency?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's the that's the interesting thing, right? Because I mean, in the end, a lot of it comes down to to basic sustainability through finances right like the arts is not a sustainable career option for many many people and so that's why they turn away from that potential career path at the same time the stories that are coming out from these communities the types of topics um, the kinds of emotions those are very compelling stories and you know I think very raw honest looks at very specific struggles within the community and when you when you see art or read art and you want to get that kind of honesty right and for many Asian Canadian readers um, I think that getting a diverse range of storytelling is like a crucial part to the a crucial element to the well-being of the community and our magazine is hoping at least to be able to bring more kinds of stories to the table, you know, whether that be in, in different forms or, you know, with slightly different rules, um, or they have very specific topics that they are able to speak to because they have certain degrees of access. Um, and I think like that's a valuable a valuable thing to bring to the literary scene as well.
0: So are are there common technical problems when you're working doing that back and forth with with your writers? Are there common problems that you found in those submissions and And can we address any for listeners who might want to submit to your journal?
1: I think, I mean, there's the regular sort of, I didn't, you know, didn't read the guidelines or didn't submit, you know, within deadline. And we're actually, we're actually, I think, a magazine that's more loose with that, um, just because our goal is really about nurturing, you know, emerging voices and we understand you know, deadlines are tricky are tricky things when you are encountering a huge body of text, which is the submissions page. you know it's it's not uncommon to miss one or two things. So like we are more lenient with those kinds of um, with those kinds of um, errors. but I think for for me, I mean, speaking personally from as someone who's been editing um, nonfiction and poetry i I get a lot of pieces that are maybe like first or second drafts, or they, you know, they try to say what they're trying to say in a very straightforward manner. (laughs) And it's interesting to read those pieces for a magazine, because I understand, in some ways, the thought process that goes behind that. But also, it's quite evident to an editor when a piece is only in it's like first two rounds of drafting and it's very hard for us to want to take a chance on that if we have also you know in in comparison a piece that has maybe much more care and and um, thought put into it already that we can then you know reduce maybe the editing time for so i mean it's like it's it's sort of like that difference between a piece you would bring to a workshop Uh, you know, where you're like, I would like to just get feedback and work on this some more versus a piece where you're like, okay, I'm ready for this to go out there. I stand behind a lot of what it says, but maybe you could tell me something about it that I don't know yet. Right. And I think there's like, that's a, that's a subtle difference that you learn only through submitting a lot of pieces, I think, and then resubmitting the same pieces after you've worked through them multiple times. I think that's like, I guess that's advice, but that's something I see a lot of. And and this happens a lot specifically with nonfiction. I get, I think people interpret nonfiction as like blog posts sometimes. And so I get, I get pieces that, you know, have a very strong eye speaker and there's no function for that narrator. It's literally the voice of the, the writer um, without any uh, artifice or any attempt at crafting a, a story even in nonfiction, which is still a necessary thing, right?
0: For sure. I like what you say about how this is sort of, this subtle thing that you learn only through submitting a lot of pieces and then resubmitting. On the other hand, though, you it's also there in what you're saying too, is if it's a first or second draft, it's unlikely to be published and it's something you need to work at a bit more. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's really interesting to try, you know, because I, I personally, as someone who also submits to other magazines, I sometimes have pieces that I'm, you know, not quite sure about, and I will just do the, I would just submit them somewhere that I think like, you know, there's a match and I sometimes use the submissions process a way to tell me how far um, I think my pieces are. Like I have done that.
0: So, and sort of depending on what kind of feedback you're getting, whether it's a standard rejection or a more substantive one.
1: Yeah. And, and even like, even just the speed, right? I think, I think writers in general kind of know where their own writing sits. Like if you've been writing for a while, if you've been submitting pieces for a while, you have a good sense of where your pieces are within the sort of completed spectrum. But the act of submitting to literary magazines is preceded by the looking for literary magazines, you know, the um, reading of that literary magazine's content. I think that engagement process is also a really good sort of um, soundboard for you to then look at your own writing and be like, okay, how ready is this? Right? Um, I have submitted pieces that I thought were complete and then thought had a good chance, and then didn't get accepted, even though you know I was like, okay, you know, it probably would work, and and then so that feedback coming back gave me more to go back and look at the piece with, and then say, okay, so what do I want to do now? Do I want to change the format of this to resubmit to the same magazine? Or do I think it's a fit issue? And I think it's like that kind of care when you start thinking about your work in relation to the places that they're going to. Um, That's a, a skill that needs to be developed a lot.
0: You write that your alter ego is a poet and you foreground your work as an interdisciplinary artist. Do you keep these practices quite separate? What are the differences or similarities between your visual art and your writing?
1: Yeah, I think I have, I have come out into the creative, the creative scene in Toronto as somebody who definitely works in more than just literature, hence the ground foregrounding of interdisciplinary artists as opposed to poet. It also comes from, I think, the fact that I work with Project 40, which is the arts collective that publishes Loose Leaf, as an interdisciplinary artist and programmer. I wouldn't say the practices are separate in the sense that interdisciplinary artists, you know, folds many types of genres or mediums into its work. Cause I work in pottery. I also work in paper. So they're very closely related in, in many ways to my practice of poet of poetry, paper and book binding, um, making paper, bookbinding, paper cutting, all being still directly re- related to the literary um, genre. And then for me, pottery and ceramics being sort of functionally very similar to poetry in the sense of stillness and, you know, rigor of form and um, deafness of like technique. Right. And so, so when I think about my interdisciplinary practices, they're always looking back to the poet in me, just in a different form. Which is why you know, alter ego still remains the poet because I think the poet is still at the heart of who I am. But these other ways of being that I've learned to befriend or you know take take on the roles of, like, are also very fundamental in my career in how others perceive me within the scene. Which is why there's a slight distinction between between those.
0: How does your passion for intersectional community and interdisciplinary creation converge?
1: So I think um, I think intersectional community asks us to be open and mindful of difference, right? It asks us to have a posture of listening that requires effort. It requires a lot of heart. Um, it requires a lot of humility in many ways, um, because we are being asked to to really give attention to another person's experience that we might not have any. Um, relationship with and this this is like a very crucial point of connection for me because if we are artists or writers what we really want is to connect with people um, through our art and whether that be in narrative or emotion and in intersectional community sometimes you are asked to hold space and uplift experiences that you personally don't have but recognize the importance of having And so with interdisciplinary creative spaces, then I think that as a writer, personally, at least I have to um, be challenged often to consider the things that I take for granted in my art form, right? When I'm working with a visual artist or I'm working with a photographer or I'm working with, you know, someone who, who works in 3D, I have to try a different way in order to explain why I'm doing the things I'm doing and why the things I'm doing are good. I find that open dialogue really refreshing. I always come away from a collaboration, having learned something new, not just about, I guess, craft, you know, their craft and their work, but also my craft and my work because it kind of follows the same logic of you having to explain your story to someone who's never heard it for the first time, right? And this is something, I guess, that writing workshops will employ Um, as a technique. And and so I find that when it it goes to cross genre, you know, the stakes are even higher because they have an equal commitment to the connection and to the art, but they also have a completely different way of going about it, you know, getting there. Um, So I think that's really valuable of an exchange.
0: That's a lovely description of that exchange. Thank you for that. And thank you for for taking part in Lit Mag Love today. What what is the best way for writers to connect with you and with Loose Leaf?
1: Um, honestly, email, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, all the all the avenues. I try to keep an eye open in my inbox for, you know, inquiries, for coffee chats. I'm very like invested in having open conversation about what it means to be a writer or an artist, you know, within the Toronto but also Canadian literary scene at large. And because we're an interdisciplinary collective that publishes a multi-genre magazine, we're super open to experimental and super open to, you know, different things that might be out of place. Right. So I would just say if people are, are you know, looking to have a conversation, if they're just looking to find out more, you can email me.
0: Fabulous. And I'll share that information on our on the show note page yep. for, the, yep. for the episode. Well, thank you so much for sharing your love with us today, Jasmine. No
1: problem. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure.
0: That was my interview with Jasmine Gouy of Loose Leaf Magazine. And if we think about what, as writers, we can learn from my interview about submitting, both to Loose Leaf and submitting in general, about Loose Leaf, they're interested in voices that may be untrained, and and that's a rare and beautiful thing. On the other hand they definitely will choose more refined work. So they get a lot of pieces that are first or second drafts. And there's a subtle difference there, as Jasmine Gouy puts it, that you learn through submitting about which ones are going to be acceptable to lit mags. She talked a lot about using submissions to see how ready a piece is and how writers know where their writing sits. When they've been submitting for a while, and I, w- I would definitely agree with that and endorse that as a strategy for writers to learn about the readiness of their work, the act of submitting to lit mags is preceded, as she puts it, by looking at them and reading them. And that engagement is the best soundboard for you to look at your own writing. Because they accept a lot of untrained pieces, their editing goes many rounds. Again, a rare and beautiful thing to have editors who go through with lots of back and forth. One problem that she sees with the nonfiction that's submitted to the journal, and I would echo that, this is something that we see a lot in submissions to *Rim* Magazine, is that nonfiction pieces that appear like blog posts, so they're written with an eye, and there's really no craft to the story, but you need craft to every story, especially for literary journals, definitely, and, and even in nonfiction. Litmag Love is co-presented by Room Magazine, literature, art, and feminism since 1975 and the Litmag Mag Love course, an online course to get smart, fearless, and published with lots of help from me. Sound editing for the episode is done by Micah Lemiski and I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. If you want to give us some love in the form of a review, wherever you get your podcast, we would love that and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LitMagLove. Thanks for writing and reading literature, and thanks for listening to LitMagLove. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co book club.